Hello, and welcome to Captive Audience, where the podcast length doesn't matter. I'm your host and creator, Kelly Hayes, and today we have Ariana, and we're here to talk about Waitress. So the point of Captive Audience is to talk about, to talk with a bunch of different people whose uh, attachment to theater are varying different lengths, Um, and I'll start with talking about my experience with theater. Um, I have been in theater since I was in middle school and high school with Ariana. Um, And we've been doing theater, but we've both kind of been in the choir. And then in college, I sort of trailed off a little bit and then I actually wound up getting right back into it. Uh, And then I actually wound up going into set design. And then I decided to make this podcast with a bunch of friends because I like to hear about what they think about theater and their unique experience with it, even if they aren't necessarily obsessed with theater like I am. But luckily today, we have somebody who is just (laughs) as obsessed with musical theater as I am. So Ari, do you want to talk about your experience with music and musical theater? Yeah, so, um, well, Kelly and I went to school together. So I was also in the theater program starting from seventh grade all the way through high school. And uh, like Kelly said, there was a lot of times that we were in the ensemble and we just kind of bonded through that and practicing together. And uh, so that was the bulk of my theater experience. I also did show choir, so it was kind of dancing and singing around. And (laughs) I went to college for music industry, uh, which was a great experience. I studied at Drexel and learned a lot about music and i'd say that my big connection to musical theater comes from the music side um i'm a singer songwriter uh, guitarist amateur piano player so uh, it's been a lot of fun getting closer to musical theater again Um, i also stopped in college and i'm just kind of getting back into it so it's been fun this was your first broadway show that you've ever been to and i got to experience Mm -hmm. that I got to experience somebody's first Broadway show, which I had never done before, and that was really fun. Can you explain kind of what that was like, being at your first Broadway show, without giving too much away about the story, which we're going to talk about later? But how was the experience going to New York? And Honestly, it was a dream. You know, it's, it's stuff that I've seen on TV about people traveling to New York, and, you know, we're not super far from New York. We're just a, a mega bus away, but... It was just nothing that I had experienced before. Uh, And, you know, having love for this show, which we'll get deeper in, I'm glad that Waitress was my first Broadway experience. So the the reason that that Ariana is, um, I mean, because it was her first experience, but also because she was really in love with the movie beforehand, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting experience going to... So you show with somebody who is already so invested in the in the material, um, which is definitely like one of the reasons why you chose this as your first musical to go see is because you were so invested in it. So for those who don't know, Waitress began as a movie in 2007, 2007 um, and then was adapted uh, for the stage by Jesse Nelson, who was the book writer, and Sarah Bareilles, who we all know from pop, pop, uh, pop music. Um, she did the music and lyrics for it. Um, she's also kind of been the most vocal. You hear a lot more about her talking about it than uh, Jesse Nelson. I actually haven't seen much of them. 
But Sarah Bareilles uh, wrote the music and lyrics, and that was how, how I got invested because I am a big fan of Sarah, Sarah Bareilles and musical theater. So the two just went together. Uh, so I want to hear about a little bit about how you felt about it being adapted from a movie mm-hmm. and what you what you thought of the uh, adaptation of it. So I, I really learned about it from my mom and really loved that show. And so then when I heard that it was being adapted into a musical my first response was actually skepticism. I did not think that there would be a way to turn it into a musical that would do the story justice and give it uh, what it needed to truly, you know, be what it actually turned into. And uh, also, I was kind of skeptical because Waitress isn't, you know, your upbeat, campy, kind of happy story. It's a really sad story, uh, what happens uh, with Jenna and, you know, turns around towards the end. Uh, but yeah, I was really kind of skeptical. But then I started listening to the music because I heard Sarah Bareilles was doing the music and I love Sarah Bareilles. So, you know, you have the movie that I love with a songwriter where I love her work and, you know, kind of put it together. And it was through listening to the soundtrack that I was really like, wow, I need to see this show. I need to see what happens with it. So, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about when we saw the show and who we saw it with, because I believe that um, understanding the context of when we saw this show is actually extremely important um, because we're we're talking about um, how specific people might have influenced our experiences. Um, and I think that's not something that we talk about enough, um, just like the environment and the audience that you see a show with. It also kind of matters the portrayals and uh and who you've seen it with, for example, uh, Ariana is seeing it with prior knowledge of a movie and knowing the Broadway show and knowing the soundtrack. And I just went in knowing the soundtrack and knowing a little bit of the plot. Um, So those are two very different experiences only made up by the fact that we also saw different actors. Mm -hmm. Um, So we saw Nicolette Robinson as Jenna, who is the first person of color uh, to play Jenna. we also saw Drew Gerling, who is the original Dr. Pometer, who he briefly left and then came back. So that was really cool. We got to see the original Doctor. Um, and then we also saw uh, Alex Wise as well, um, which was a treat. Um, and then uh, Leanne and Natasha, who played Dawn and Becky respectively, are also not the original. So Ariana, what did you think of Nicolette? So I thought Nicolette did a really wonderful job as Jenna. She brought a lot of emotional depth to a complicated character who's going through a lot in her life. There's, you know, a lot of emotions going through Jenna with her story and the fact that Nicolette could bring such a range from, you know, crying and having depressing moments where she's just sad and going through all the weight of life to, you know, having lighter notes and moments with Dr. Palmer. Uh, you know, I thought she brought a lot to the table and executed it phenomenally. Uh, and Nicolette was one of the reasons why I really wanted to go and see the show right then and there. Um, I wanted to see the show for a few years, but just never had the opportunity or the means to get there. And when I heard that Nicolette was the first woman of color that was going to play Jenna, you know, that was something that really touched me as a female of color. And so I just knew immediately, like, this is 
you know, I have to go see this show. They're doing something really special in this theater, bringing in a new light and life to this character. So, you know, I think it was amazing. Amazing job. I really, res- I really liked her Jenna a lot. Um, I think Ariana was talking earlier about uh, off mic. We were talking about the context of her uh, being in an interra- inter- interracial relationship with both her husband and the doctor, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and I think that's something that that maybe isn't explored too much on the great white way. Um, but I think that it's, it's, a it's a really important relationship. Would you like to talk about that a little more? So I think it adds another depth to the relationships that weren't there before. Jenna is struggling at home with an abusive husband and finds out she's pregnant, which adds on another layer to her life that makes it a little bit more difficult for her to escape and get out of this toxic relationship. Meanwhile, she falls in love with her doctor and those relationships, you know, just being explored on paper without color being added to it is, you know, one set of circumstances. But then I think when you add in uh, element of an interracial relationship, it's just it's a new perspective on it, one that we hadn't seen. It wasn't done in the movie and it wasn't done on uh, the stage either. And I think it's one that maybe could have even been explored a little bit more, but you know. Yeah, to talk to to talk to that, um, I think it's really important that that uh, roles be more tailored to situations that we do normally don't see, um, because what happens is is that uh, Nicolette most likely what happened is she went into this role um, with very little time to prepare, certainly mm-hmm. a lot less time than the original cast had. Um, and she kind of had to make the role her own. And she couldn't really change the script. She couldn't change the script. She couldn't change the songs. Um, so it's really it's really interesting if you start off a concept like that. And I'm actually going to bring in another musical in this a little bit for about five seconds, if our audience and Ariana does not mind. Um, but I always thought it would be really interesting if Zoe Murphy in Dear Evan Hansen uh, started as an adopted character from any any race, and I thought it was just a very interesting family dynamic to have, especially because there's Zoe, Zoe Murphy, their understudy, who is played by uh, Olivia Puckett, is actually uh, half African, half half African American. She's biracial. She's white and African American, um, and it, you it's I mean it's hard to ignore. And I know we talk about colorblind casting, um, but I think it's. I think it would have been very interesting to acknowledge that part mm-hmm. of her and acknowledge that and make that a part of Zoe Murphy instead of kind of brushing it aside and pretending like mm-hmm. there was nothing different. Because I feel like somebody who was adopted would have taken it a little bit differently, would have been in a little bit of a different situation. Yeah, I think, you know, it just it changes the dynamic of the relationship. It makes it a little bit different. And, you know, what Dr. Palmer's acceptance of Jenna might have meant you know, for different characters. I mean, I think the role was done very well, and there's not much that I would even recommend be changed. So, you know, I think it was a great show, and they did a really great job yeah. with it. But it's I also it's also a lot of in perception. It's a lot of perception of uh, what you see it as. So, mm-hmm. me going to experience the show as an Asian American um, who was adopted. Surprise. 
my is a different experience than seeing than somebody who's African American and seeing the show. I mean, I can like as somebody who was very excited for the original Dawn, who's played by Kimiko Glenn, seeing an Asian doing a uh, Southern accent. Um, was absolutely mind-blowing to me. I thought that, that was the coolest thing ever that Kimiko Glenn got to be in that. So I understand a little bit of what you're coming from through the representation that Kimiko Glenn mm-hmm. brought, just like Nicolette. Um, but I also want, I wanted to personally bring up Alex Wise, since Alex Wise is sort of the reason that I went to go see Waitress. I went to go see it for a multitude of reasons, um, one of them certainly being uh, Nicolette Robinson. Um, but I also went to go see Alex Wise, who I had seen in, uh, I didn't see him in Spring Awakening, but I really wanted to. I saw their performance on uh, Seth Meyers, and I saw Alex Wise killing it. And I just wanted to give him a shout out because he's great. And I thought he played a really good Ogie. What did you think comparing him to the movie? Well, and I should mention that the uh, Ogie, oh boy, I'm so sorry because I don't remember his name, but um uh, the guy who originally played Ogie is actually in Waitress right now. Oh, yeah. Playing Ogie. Yeah, he came So out. I think that's really interesting. He's really, he's a really sweet man. I watched an interview with him. He's so <laughs> sweet. Um, but I wanted to mention that because I think that's also really interesting. And I don't know, maybe if we could get tickets to see it again, mm-hmm. you know, maybe. But um, how was Alex Wise compared to him in the movie? So, Ogi on stage, I would say, serves as a little bit more of a source of comedic relief, in my personal opinion. I thought that he just brought this more dorky charm and into the show, and that his relationship with Don was, you know, kind of more, like I said, comedic. But when you look at it in the stage version, or the movie version, Ogi is very stalkerish and very creepy and he's a well-intentioned man that means well but just does not come about it the right way and honestly if I was Don I probably would have ran. Yeah and I think it's really interesting um, that Alex Wise absolutely charmed the pants off of every person in the audience Um, and his portrayal was filled with a lot more heart and I feel like a lot more um, I wouldn't even say like sincerity because I think I don't know, you think that uh, with seeing Alex first, you want to believe that the character is who Alex played. So I want to believe that Ogie was always meant to be a well-intentioned character. But then again, because we never saw the original Ogie uh, as Chris Chris Fitzgerald, as well as the original Ogie in the movie, um, it seems like where he was coming from was, was well-intentioned enough, but was very creepy and would be, you know, you would normally just recommend most girls to run but um i feel like mm-hmm. alex wise was so smooth and was just such a charmer i like um because i remember even in the album if you listen to the cast album his songs his so- one of his songs is like you're never getting rid of me yeah it's creepy it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a creepy song but i feel like alex wise pulls it off so incredibly well and that could be I mean, you know, we could debate for the next hour whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, but all I can say is that he did a good job of making me want to date him. So, <laughs> And, you know, the one thing that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of, and 
you know, the the musical can't be a hundred percent exact replica no. of the movie. And honestly, I do think they did a really great job of keeping the script very on par with what happened in the movie. But one thing that I think would have been cool to see is a little bit more of that push and pull through Ogie and Don. You get a little bit of that in the beginning and he comes in and she's like, oh no, like I don't want to date you, go away. But it kind of seems that at the end of that song when they go back into the dialogue, they're kind of like, oh, we do have these similarities. Maybe we should go out instead of like in the movie, Don kicking him out of the diner. He runs away crying and then you find out they're dating through a later scene. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, a really interesting point. Um, and I want to explain really fast the choice to not, for me to wa- not watch the movie before we did this podcast. And I did that intentionally because I want to hear kind of these um, thoughts from uh, Ariana. And I kind of wanted to keep the experience of seeing the movie, not seeing the movie, being very familiar with the, the musical, not being super familiar. Um, I kind of wanted to keep that as organic as possible. But anyway, do you have anything else that you want to say about the the musical before yeah. we move on to the set? Well, there, there were two points that I wanted to bring up. And one was that Drew's confidence in the role just brought in a whole nother level that made the show super fun. So, like, there was a scene where he drops a piece of paper and he, like, tries to catch it and it falls to the ground. Yeah, I remember that. And normally you would think, like, oh, you try to catch it once and it falls. But he kept fumbling with the paper and was so adorably awkward. Quite skillfully, he kept that thing in the air for about 30 seconds. It was crazy. It was like a long, drawn-out joke. uh, But he didn't let that paper touch the ground and it was very good. He was very funny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, Natasha... Uh, playing Becky her version of that uh, Becky song I forget I didn't plan it I didn't plan it so Natasha's version of I didn't plan it literally just tore the house down like it I can't listen to any other version like Natasha's was phenomenal I absolutely loved it like Grammy, give this woman a Grammy. She deserves it. Like, it's yeah, so it was good. also. I think I believe it was also close to her last performance. Yeah. I think she left like a week later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like I said before, one of the coolest things about uh, Broadway is the fact that you see people on Broadway. They're like, it's like you and a couple of people in relativity to how long the musical has been out can see certain performances. So. Um, Alex Wise was also only in it for, I think, two to three months as Mm -hmm. well. Nicolette was in it a little longer. She was. And the one thing that I was nervous about buying tickets is that it was towards the end of her run, but her run kept being extended, which... Because she's so great. Made me We love her. (laughs) Um, yeah. And, and, um, I think Alex had such a small chunk and I wanted to go see his performance so bad. And when I found out that him and... Nicolette would be like intersecting I immediately planned the entire trip and was like we're going and one thing I want to mention too is I think that this was the last show for Al Roker playing Joe and so you know we'd really wanted to see him but unfortunately you know he wasn't able to perform in the we saw a matinee however his understudy was phenomenal he was a very wonderful old Joe like it was 
it was honestly just a great performance by everyone. And, you know, if I could go see it again with the exact same cast, I would. I would gladly see it with a different cast as well. It was just, it was really wonderful. Andrew Fitch. Fitch? F-I-T-C-H? Mm-hmm. He's the swing slash understudy for Cal and Joe. And he was a wonderful He was really great. We have the playbill in front of us, just in case we forget any uh, creatives. And that is a bonus for us Mm -hmm. for going to go see the show and then using the playbill. Um, I really want to give the credit where credit is due. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't have the little leaflet for uh, the understudies. Anyway, you were great, Andrew. Yes, wonderful. You were wonderful. You made me cry. That song makes me cry every time. Yes. Yes, tears were shed. Many tears were shed. So many tears. <laughs> and I have to say that during the beginning of the show, when they just opened the curtains, I probably cried for a straight, like, 15 minutes just because I was actually, like, yeah, finally sitting in the theater. Yeah. Well, that actually brings us to our next section where we're talking about the immersion and the, the actual set. Um. So how do you think going to your first Broadway show, like, really affected your experience? Uh, having, like it be one of your first or your third experience in New York, mm-hmm. but your first time at a Broadway show. I bet that was a lot. Right. Yeah, it, it was. And I would say that I'm glad that my first Broadway experience was with a show that I was so connected to already and one that I had been anticipating for a long time to be able to see. I would say I didn't really know what to expect going into it. And I was pleasantly surprised when you walk into the lobby of the Brooke Atkinson Theater mm-hmm. and it smells like warm apple pie. And, and, like, that, and that was actually something that they intentionally did was they mm-hmm. cook, cook pies. I think there's like an oven like right near where the shop is, mm-hmm. um, which they then sell the little mini pies. They sell them for, I think, like $8. Um, and you can like eat a pie and smell delicious baking pie while you're mm-hmm. uh, in the, the beginning in the lobby for the the show which I think is a really interesting addition places you in a diner you know it's like the moment you walk in you're transformed it's not like you wait till you get to your seat and then you see the stage and the actors it's like the moment you walk in your mindset is transformed you're in a diner from the beginning even just standing in line to use the women's room which took quite a while but we made it but they move real fast because it's a Broadway bathroom and they had you moving um, do you want to talk a little bit? What did you think of the set? So my favorite part of the set was how on either side of the stage, there was a floor to ceiling tower of pies. I thought that was just the coolest thing. But then also occasionally, not often, but occasionally you would see Jenna go over there and grab a pie. And I, you know, I just really thought it was cool. The set didn't have a lot of huge pieces to it I don't think I think it was you know a lot of it were props and other pieces of sets that were turned around and changed into you know different scenes and you know it's been a few months since I saw it so if I'm you know mistaken about anything it's totally not intentional but you know I liked that they had the props and they used what they had to just kind of move things around uh, but the best space for me was the diner. And of course, at the end where the Lulu's pie sign comes down and, you know, you're sobbing, I'm sobbing, everybody's sobbing. What did you think of um, some of the the, the immersive ele- element that we, were ta- we already talked about were the, were the pies? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But do you, do you think that maybe they could have done, do you think it was too, like, because that's a very interesting uh, way to immerse people. Not many, not many play, uh, plays or musicals I know of have done things like something as daring as food immersion. Um, the only musicals I can think of are uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, and then also Oklahoma is currently doing it with chili um, in crock pots, which is really interesting. It's like they're like cooking while the play is going on and they serve it at intermission. So I, I can't help but think that it's a really interesting um, little device. But I mean, it's either that they're for sale, which in case in Waitress's case cost around $8 or in Oklahoma's case and for Natasha Pierre and well, for Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, they threw it at random. So there were only a set amount. Luckily, I got one and I saved the box. Um, and then for Oklahoma, which I haven't been to yet, I know that I'm pretty sure it's only the first, either the first through few rows or only the rows that are at tables, mm -hmm. which is not that many people. It's probably like, I don't know, 30 people or so maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but those are also tickets that cost hundreds of dollars. And um, I think that's a good point to bring up is the cost of the ticket because you know you might be thinking like oh well they should give it out for free but if you think about the extra cost it is to get up front for Oklahoma that's you know that ticket is way more than an extra eight dollars than a seat in the back and the same thing uh well Natasha they mm -hmm. threw it at random but I like that they had it available for anyone in any seat to be able to have an opportunity to have a portion of the pie. Now, unfortunately, I didn't get one and I kind of wanted to, but I decided not to. You know, I, I like that they have them available. And I think that food is a very clever way to immerse your audience because you have to think, you know, it's not just something that you see. You take on a lot of senses there. You can see it, you can smell it, you can taste it, you can touch it. You know, you're really bringing in a lot of different elements to the table that can transform you to being there. And then for some people, it also attaches to memories. Like maybe you walk into the theater and you smell the apple pie and you remember an apple pie that your grandma used to make for years on end and just kind of brings you back. And, you know, I think food is a very clever way to, to do it. Yeah. Um, and bringing as a, as a set designer, uh, one of the things that, as specifically as a set designer who's a huge fan of musical theater, and this this podcast we're talking about Broadway, but uh, many different kinds of theater. Actually, this podcast will probably focus on a lot of shows in Philadelphia, where I am based, and obviously it's much cheaper to get to a Philadelphia show. So, But I wanted to bring up that I always thought it would be really interesting if Waitress was set in a smaller environment, mm -hmm. um, where... Maybe you could do something like serve actual diner food. And then it was almost like a dinner theater, but in a small diner environment. And I always thought that that would be a really interesting way to set up Waitress. Uh, waitress started at ART, A-R-T, uh, which I believe is a center for, for experimental new musical theater. Uh, and Waitress played there. Um, and it was a much smaller, it was a pretty, it was a smaller set. Um, or, or maybe it wasn't. One of the things that um, Ariana actually just talked about, which was the pies and the pie containers, uh, the glass compartments that you would see at any diner, 
you know, you're along the Jersey Turnpike or whatever, was the fact that I actually thought that they maybe gave away the dimensions of the stage and made everything within them smaller. So because these Pyrax were as far apart as they could be on the stage and as tall as they could be hitting basically the roof of the, of the, of the stage, um, I think it actually made a lot of the set pieces a lot smaller uh, where your eye was looking at the top of the pie case and you're trying to see, you know, you're counting the pies, you're trying to see how many pies there are and what they are. Uh, and then you kind of like, you know, bring your eyes over to the left or to the right and all of a sudden it's kind of just like dead space or it's like the sky that's been painted, mm -hmm. but it, there's no roof to the diner that they're at. Um, and it sounds really nitpicky, but it made the space a lot smaller for me. It made the, or it made the space uh, big and it made the set pieces small. Mm -hmm. um, so that was something that I wanted to particularly comment on. And actually the scenic design while we're on it um, is by Scott Pesk, who also did shows like The Book of Mormon. Um, and he also, I believe, has done the prom set as well. And he's a pretty, he's a pretty successful set designer. As you kind of go into the industry, which I have, um, you kind of start to see the same names over and over um, which is really interesting because kind of like, it's almost like they've cracked the code, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting. Um, I, and he, I mean, he, I just saw a picture the other day of him with the set in London because they're doing Waitress on the West End mm -hmm. right now with Catherine McPhee. So it's a, re it's a really, it's a really interesting set. I wish it were, I, maybe I wish the pillars weren't there and then maybe it would maybe condense a little bit more. Um, but besides the diner scene, which is all involved, there's a band there, there are rows of booths, there's a whole back kitchen area along with a, a, a bar seating for the customers that just wanna quickly grab a bite to eat. It's a full set, that is a full set, mm -hmm. but scenes like the doctor's office, the bus stop, um, even Jenna's house are smaller. So I think it's almost, in some cases, it's almost too small, but it's kind of like an argument of whether the musical calls for it to be smaller or if it calls for it to be bigger. I would wish that the diner set was actually maybe a little bit smaller and then it was in a smaller theater. Um, I don't know the exact seat count or the exact measurement. Um, so I don't really know how big the Brooks Axman Ack Ackerman Theater is. Um, Atkinson Theater is compared to other theaters. Um, but, you know, if this was at the Music Box Theater, maybe where mm -hmm. Dear Van Hansen is, or even if it was at, I think the Lyceum is a pretty small theater, mm -hmm. um, or even like in an off-Broadway house. I mean, it's got to be on Broadway, but if it were at like an off-Broadway house, um, like the Diamond Theater or the MCC Theater, you know, that would be interesting to see it in a small setting like it was when it was at ART. What do you think about that? I think that it could serve well to be in a smaller environment artistically, but I think then you also have to think, you know, kind of from a, from a standpoint of, you know, with ticket sales, like this is a very popular show. And so I think if we brought the seat count down, would it make it more difficult for people to see it? Would it have to be priced more, priced less? You know, like, how would that all work out? Um, you know, unfortunately, the one thing that came with going in November was it was very cold in New York. So 
you know, we had our jackets and we had bags with us from, you know, being in New York the entire day. And the one thing that made it difficult for me to get immersed in the in, into the show was that the seats were so tight and were so close together that, you know, if you wanted to take off your jacket, it was kind of hard to get comfortable. And, you know, you have people right to the right of you, right to the left of you, right behind you, right in front of you. You know, it's just, it was a very cramped uh, sort of environment. So that was one thing that made it, you know, a little bit difficult. So I'm not sure, you know, truly about smaller theater. I do think it might serve the set design a little bit well. And I do agree with you that the pillars do kind of show this is all the space that we have to work with. And then you see the doctor's office. And it's like, this is all that we're, you know, kind of doing here. I think it could have maybe even served well to make those scenes a little bit bigger. But then, you know, again, you bring cost into it and all that other stuff. So, you know. One point, though, that you did touch on that I wanted to bring up was that the band was on stage, and I really, really liked that. They were, like, in the diner, and, you know, you have the bassist and other members go get a cup of coffee at the diner and then go back down to their seats. Yeah, there were, it was really, it was, like, a weird kind of uh, interaction because you, like, didn't really know what was real and what was fake, mm-hmm. um, and that's something maybe you can elaborate on. Um, that is in, definitely present, very present in the musical is what Jen is feeling when she feels overwhelmed emotionally. What she likes to do is she likes to invent a pie in her head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of these moments that were included with the band is there's a scene where she makes a pie that has, it, it involves poppy seeds and all of the casts have red poppies that come out of nowhere. You know, like, and all of a sudden the the lights go red. And I think that that is a very interesting artistic way of dealing with the fact that they have to kind of go into Jenna's dreamland at the drop of a hat. Some of the places where I felt like it broke a little bit immersion wise is like there were a few moments where she would be having an experience and a bunch of other people would be having that experience with her. For example, the contraction ballad when she starts going into labor and all of a sudden there are like six women in labor, but are they supposed to be different women or are they supposed to be her? Those were just a little, they, those were some pieces that were a little confusing as well as the band. Um, were the, was the band part of the diner? And these aren't questions that need to be answered. Sometimes you can just have beautifully artistic things for beautifully artistic sake. Um, and in which case, I think that it worked really well with the band. Mm-hmm. But what I and my question is all, all the time and for this podcast and whatever is why does it work there and why does it not maybe work for the contraction mm-hmm. ballad or maybe why doesn't it work for uh, I mean, you know, what Bacon can do is all of a sudden her mom comes in and but it's so early in the musical and she said mom in the song, but you don't really know it's her mom. So you think maybe it's a representation of her and her husband's interactions? I mean, which is intentionally are intentionally mirrored. But I would like to know how did the did the movie do any better with maybe uh, dealing with her little her little fantasy scenes that she has when she's making a pie, or how did they work that out? Well, so it was kind of different because they would shoot to a scene of the pie. So instead of actually having Jenna kind of going through motions, you would see a pie crust, and then it would fill with all the different stuff. So all you would see would be a table, a 
pie crust and then her hand. So, like, yeah, I know there was one with, like, it was, like, a New York cheesecake mm-hmm. or something. Or you would see her, you know, one was a quiche and it had mashed up, you know, different things. So, it kind of went from a movie to a cooking show then back to a movie. Which... Kind of, like, tasty. <laughs> <laughs> with, like, the overhead camera yeah, shot. that was exactly yeah. It, yeah. Whereas in the musical, it was more of an interpretive dance. Right. Um... And I think Jenna is kind of like such a dreamy character mm-hmm. that I feel like it it worked for me. Um, I feel like it probably took a lot of running and workshopping to get it not seem cheesy because I do see how something like that would get cheesy mm-hmm. uh, really easily. But I think that it worked really well and the cast movements were really good. Well, one thing that I, I really like I remember and I liked was so, for example, like she would mix in different things that weren't just ingredients so like one of the elements to one for pie this was the movie no the the musical oh in the musical yeah one of the elements she tied in was she put a red dress in her pie and so you saw her like pull out red dress and put it in there and so you know you can't really replicate the scene with the overhead shot in her hands doing you know everything and then after a while especially you know if you're further back you're not going to see up close what she's putting in the pie so just seeing her mix things over and over again can get kind of old. So I think they had a good adaptation of it, and I liked that it wasn't all real stuff. I yeah, also it wasn't liked... a one-to-one. Like, it wasn't like a projection right. somewhere that you can see overhead she's doing something with, like, an additional camera above her. They kind of made it their own, and which was really nice. one thing that I also liked was that there were the recipes were different from the movie. So, you know, you might go forward, you know, except for a couple, like, she still had the mermaid pie that she would bring to the doctor's office. But the scenes where she created the pies, a lot of them were different. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, what was your favorite pie? (laughs) I personally, I just like when she got angry and she was like, my husband is a jerk chicken pot pie. I think that that is like, I think it's really, uh, I thought it was like a really good way to kind of like, and she, she, there was like, she was like, take the chicken or take something, soak it in beer, <laughs> trap in the moisture. I think, I thought that that, like, I don't know if there was anything like that in the movie, but I thought that that was a really interesting change. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, all of these elements that they do where they're interpretive dancing, kind of the creation of the pie, instead of doing an overhead shot, um, just adds to the immersiveness to the audience. Because mm-hmm. all, all of a sudden the lights change, the sound changes, and we're all in this little uh, fantasy world with Jenna, mm-hmm. uh, which I think really just adds to pulling into her as a character. Mm-hmm. Because you're seeing her happy moments, her sad moments. Of course, she's the protagonist and you're following her. But you get to see these moments in her head, which is 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 interesting. I feel like the way that the movie did it, I feel, is a little bit detaching, actually. Because like you're just seeing her hands and mm-hmm. her making a pie. So maybe it's like, you know, we're putting a pie to a face and uh, I mean, there were a few of those pie scenes where they added Dr. Pometer in it close to the beginning, I think, of the of the first act of the second act. I'm sorry, um, where she was like with Dr. Pometer and there was like Boris comes in, they lift her up, they lift him up and they circle each other. And I, you know, I think that I'm glad that they kind of didn't echo the movie so hard in that regard. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it would have been a very hard thing to do to echo the movie in that regard. One, from the technicality of the shot, and two, like you said, you know, it kind of helps you connect with the characters a little bit more. And, you know, they're, it's it's in a different respect. You know, you have the stage, and then you have 
screen and you have the ability to, you know, kind of edit things and put things together where, you know, every time you do a stage production, it's one full take, you know, you don't start over from the beginning or misalign and, you know, do everything over Just again and edit it. it together, you know, it, it creates a unique experience every single time. So yeah. I think they made the necessary changes while holding true to the plot and a lot of what happens. Yeah. And so um, is there anything else that you want to sort of discuss about anything immersive or um, anything that you're missing before we end? One thing that I thought was a unique choice, and I, I don't know why this choice was made, and it's not a bad choice, um, was there was a song that Jenna and her mom sang in the movie that was not incorporated into the musical, and I was kind of excited to see how they would incorporate it. But even though it was changed and it wasn't the same song, again, I'm not one of those people who think that the movie and the musical need to be exactly 100% the same. They're different in their own regards, and I think that they were both done beautifully. But I liked that Sarah Bareilles kept the essence of a song that was sung between the mother and daughter. So it wasn't the same song, but, you know, she still kept that essence in there. And so, you know, I think... That was beautifully done. Yeah, and it's not like we have the scripts right next to us right now because we do not. But I know that a lot of the the lines are verbatim. Yes. From the show, like Dawn calls uh, Ogie a mad stalking elf, yeah, or something like that. <laughs> and I think that is directly from the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like uh, the I remember listening to a uh, build series, which you should all watch. Um, with Sarah Bareilles about the lyrics and the, one of the things that Dr. Pometer tells Jenna is, um, is I could find the whole meaning of life through those sad eyes, which is the first line of you matter to me. And that is a direct quote, uh, from the film, which is really interesting. And I just think the whole, uh, I think at, uh, uh, when I think people give, uh, adaptations a really like, I think people, lump them in as the same thing. Um, and I think like original musicals, adaptations can be done right and they can be done wrong. And this um, is a case of it done right. I think this is done incredibly well. I would say uh, the band's visit is another example. Um, people didn't even know it was, I believe it's a movie and it won the Tony for best musical. Um, and I've heard nothing but good things about that musical. Unfortunately, it closed. I, I am not, obviously we talk a lot here about the opinion, we're giving our opinions and that this is a subjective matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the whole point of this podcast is that we're just two people who saw a show in slightly different contexts and we're going to give you our opinions on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if we are going to recommend Waitress. I mean, I would say that we recommend every show we go see and every show that's going to be in this podcast are things we would recommend. Um, I wholeheartedly recommend going to see Waitress. Um, There's a completely different cast in it. Shoshana Bean is in it now playing Jenna. Um, Jeremy Jordan is going to be in it. I can hear on Jeremy Jordan is going to be um, Dr. Pometer. Um, but it has completely, it has a completely different cast now. So that'll be, that'll be a really interesting thing to go see. You'll have a different experience than we will. And I think that that's a really interesting, that's a, that's a good note. 
to leave off on. Is there anything additional you would like to talk about before we wrap up? So, um, one thing that I thought was very interesting was the difference in how they portrayed uh, Dawn, Becky, and Jenna in the movie versus in the musical. And so nothing was really said explicitly regarding their age, but what I had perceived from their performance was that Becky seemed to be uh, kind of a little bit of an older woman, more mature, had gone through life longer than Jenna and Dawn. And Dawn seemed to be, if not Jenna's age, maybe even a little younger. And I think that that's another element that was kind of added into the musical that makes a interesting change, where in the movie it seemed like they were kind of all the same age. How did you feel about that? So I wouldn't say that it's something that I was all that crazy about because it did kind of change Becky in a regard. I don't think that change affected Dawn all too much. But, you know, Becky, the the main thing in the movie was Becky was much younger than her husband, who was a lot older and sickly. And, you know, she calls him a drooling invalid if that's any you know, context to how their relationship was. And in this regard, you know, it kind of seemed like Becky was this older woman who almost took on this motherly sort of, you know, take with Jenna and Dawn. And so I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad change. It wasn't my favorite change, but I think that it was indeed a change. And it kind of changed her relationship with Cal and her husband. Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting point, and I wish I could comment on it, but I haven't seen the movie. Um, Again, I'm not trying to say. No, oh my gosh, I, no, the I don't movies. think anybody thinks that. Yeah. No. Are there any social medias you want to plug? If not, then they'll be in the the ones that you do want will be in the link uh, down below. Well, you can follow me at Ariana Nicole Music. I am on Facebook and Instagram, and you can also check out my website, arianamicolemusic.com. And uh, all of my links will forever be attached to this podcast, so I don't have to list them off. Um, but thank you for listening to Captive Audience. What a, what a way to begin the first podcast. Uh, I can't wait to share more experiences of going through theater, not just Broadway, but also maybe a little bit of Philadelphia theater as well. Um, I can't wait to basically force a ton of my friends to go see musical theater with me and then come on a podcast basically as, as soon after they see it. Um, but you can you can bet you'll be seeing Ariana around here a lot more often because she sees a lot of shows with me because she's a good friend. <laughs> so thank you for thank you for listening to the whole podcast and I'll see you I'll see you. Uh, we're going to try and make it two weeks, so I'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.